So things are slightly insane right now, aren't they? If you're listening to this when it drops in the spring of 2020, you're probably doing so while you're social distancing or quarantined or working from home or as someone who still has to go out there and work, obsessively washing your hands, probably, and trying hard not to come within six feet of anyone else. But this isn't the first time in history that something scary has thrown a wrench into things. Far from it. And it's not the first time that we've all made it through something together. I'm going to be doing something a little different today and for the next few episodes, because every time I see my newsfeed, it's about something awful. People hoarding bread and toilet paper, more cases of coronavirus infecting people all over the place, the numbers of cases and infections climbing. While it's important to stay informed, I don't think the only stories we should be getting are ones designed to make us more afraid and more suspicious of one another. That just leads to more toilet paper hoarding and even angrier-than-usual grocery store lines. So I'm going to be releasing several stories, all highlighting times like this when human beings rose above the chaos to do something truly inspirational, something wonderfully good despite the world that was seeming to cave in around them. These episodes will be history bites while I'm working on the next deep dive for you, so shorter than you're used to, because I'm in that category of people that still have to work full-time during this whole thing. The intention of these stories is to give you something that will make you feel good, bring you some hope amongst the darker headlines I know we're all seeing. These stories are all true, they all happened, and they show that even in the worst of times, people can come together and do something spectacularly human. The goodness of people will always exist, and we human beings are capable of great kindness, even in times that make it hard for us to remember this. We'll get through this, like we've gotten through the plague, the 20th century flu epidemic, world wars, smallpox, six seasons of Jersey Shore, and every other thing that made people think the world was ending. And if you're like me, you probably take comfort in helpful statistics. So just to give you some idea of what we've all been through before, according to the CDC, the Center for Disease Control, three out of every ten people exposed to smallpox throughout history have died. It took us 2,400 years to beat it, and in the 20th century alone, it killed over 300 million people. In the 1300s, the bubonic plague, or Black Death, killed an estimated 25 million people in Europe alone. And you can still get it today, by the way, though now it's actually very treatable. And in the U.S., there are about 17 cases reported each year. The influenza pandemic of 1918 spread worldwide, infecting about 500 million people, which at the time was a third of the world's population. That killed around 50 million people. The coronavirus, as of this recording, which is March 28, 2020, has, according to the World Health Organization, infected globally 571,678 people and caused 26,494 deaths worldwide. Those are the confirmed numbers. So yes, we all need to be careful and safe. Do what the CDC and the WHO recommend to keep yourselves and the people you come into contact with as safe as possible. Even if you aren't a part of the most susceptible population, you might accidentally infect someone who is. 
so play it safe. But the point in sharing these numbers with you isn't to freak you out, but it's to point out that it's been a lot worse before, and though infection and disease affect millions around the world even today, we have learned from history. We've developed vaccines and medicines and responsible social behaviors that can infinitely reduce our exposure and the reach of a disease. Cooperation will be what gets us through this. Social distancing is helping, and there's no vaccine for COVID-19 yet, but there will be. In the meantime, stay safe, get your numbers from reputable sources, and try and fit in some good news amidst the 24-7 headlines giving you nothing but bad news. And in the meantime, until we get a handle on things, here are some stories about just how awesome people can be in times just like this. This first story takes us back to World War II, to the city of Belfast, and one woman who did something extraordinary because she was extraordinary. This is the tale of the woman who has come to be known as the Elephant Angel. I'm your host, Kristen Robine Terpstra, and this is the History Cache. Let's have a look inside. Belfast, the capital city of Northern Ireland, straddles the border of County Antrim and County Down. It's surrounded by a landscape so beautiful it almost hurts to look at it, and you can make your way to the shores of the Irish Sea and the unbelievably green countryside in the same day. Established in the 17th century, this city has seen more than its share of history and hardships. Oliver Cromwell, William of Orange, the Potato Famine, which killed around a million people, and the Troubles were all spotlights in a time that shaped what the city is today. The resiliency of its people and the vibrancy of life you can feel just walking down its centuries-old streets have seen the city through everything thrown at it. The Titanic was built in Belfast, and the locals will tell you she was fine when she left here. When World War II broke out only a generation after World War I, the war that was supposed to end all wars, Belfast once again found itself in the midst of trouble. On the night of April 7, 1941, the German Air Force, or the Luftwaffe, dropped bombs onto the underdefended city, beginning the Belfast Blitz. There were four of these attacks in total in 1941. Hundreds of German bombers, with hundreds of tons of high-explosive bombs and incendiaries, targeted military and manufacturing sites across the city, the worst being on what came to be called Easter Tuesday, April 15th. The city had been targeted because of its large shipyard and aircraft manufacturing base. During the Blitz, over a thousand people had been killed, and at least another 1,500 had been injured. 100,000 people lost their homes. Photographs of this survived, black and white snapshots of smoke-filled air and buildings smashed into crumbled piles of brick and smoldering wood. Many of the dead could not be identified. Their remains were just too damaged to recognize their faces. Bodies were stacked into the Fall Road's public baths and a market close to city center, though many would remain unclaimed. 
One of the survivors of the Blitz was a young woman named Denise Weston Austin. And in the midst of the war, the Blitz, the broken city, and the uncertainty about whether there would be any tomorrows, Denise was about to do something truly incredible. As the war took more and more men away from the workforce, more and more women were given the opportunity to fill working roles that had, until then, been male-dominated. Denise had filled one of these roles, becoming one of the first women to become a zookeeper at the Belfast Zoo. She earned a nice 15 pounds per week, and her home at 278 Whitewell Road was just under a kilometer, a little over a half mile from work, a route that became familiar as she walked to work each day, past the rubble, past the chaos, to the zoo. Denise was described as being an eccentric woman, though the particularities of her eccentricities are lost to history. But we know she was seen as being a bit odd, and even her home, a red brick house surrounded by tall walls known as Loftview House, was described as exotic. While working at the zoo, Denise met Sheila and immediately became enamored. Sheila was a baby elephant. And the two became fast friends. Denise would lead Sheila around the zoo outside of her enclosure and even take the baby elephant to farmland adjacent the zoo for exercise. The big pastures were perfect for a growing elephant. The Belfast Blitz was just as terrifying for the zoo animals as it was for the human citizens of Belfast. The zoo was right in the middle of areas targeted by the Luftwaffe. On the Easter Tuesday raid, only a few hundred yards from the home of Denise and less than a kilometer from the zoo, bombs were dropped on a house at Whitewell Road, killing everyone inside. The Ministry of Public Security became concerned that animals in the zoo would escape during the Blitz if bombs were to destroy their enclosures. The zoo was well within the line of Nazi planes, and they feared these loosed animals would run amok, wreaking even more havoc on an already overstrained city. So the Ministry ordered that 32 of the zoo's animals be destroyed. These included a hyena, six wolves, a puma, a tiger, a black bear, two polar bears, and a lynx. The loss of these animals had to be heartbreaking for the zookeepers who took care of them every day and were already on edge from the blitz, keeping one eye on the skies at all times, wondering when the next air raid would smash their homes to pieces. Sheila the elephant was a docile animal, but even as a baby, she was large, standing at the shoulder much taller than a human adult. Something that large could, albeit unintentionally, do a lot of damage. Denise became nervous that this elephant she had come to love so much would also be destroyed after hours by order of the Ministry. So, every single night after the zoo had closed and the head zookeeper had left work for the day, Denise would take Sheila from her enclosure sneak her out of the zoo, and lead her all the way to Loftview House. The walls around the house were tall, and no one could see the baby elephant sleeping every night in Denise's garage. Early each morning, Denise would lead Sheila back to the zoo, sometimes stopping for some stale bread 
from thrown stores on White Whale Road without anyone else at the zoo ever knowing. Each night, the two would sneak out of the zoo, and each morning, they would sneak back in. The head zookeeper was a man named Dick Foster. He was described as being meticulous and made a point to be aware of everything happening at the zoo. But he was used to seeing Denise lead Sheila around outside of her cage, even appreciated how the baby elephant was getting some extra exercise. So it didn't seem odd when he saw them walking together out on the countryside in the morning. This was an era of wartime rationing, and the food provided to Sheila at the zoo was low quality. So Denise would take hay from the family farm outside of Belfast and give that to Sheila while the two were hanging out at night in Denise's backyard. This woman did everything she could to keep this elephant safe. Not only was she worried that her elephant would be killed, but she knew how horrified the animals were when the bombs were dropping. The loud noises were horrific for Sheila, and Denise wanted the animal with her where she could comfort her, give her the best food available, and get her through those terrifying nights of the Belfast Blitz. Things were going well for the odd pair, and the two continued their ritual with no major upsets, until they were spotted by a neighborhood dog. I'm sure that this dog was surprised at seeing an elephant in Denise's yard. And I'm sure Sheila the elephant was also surprised at this small, furry, barking animal not minding its own business. So Sheila decided to chase the dog. She chased it into the neighbor's garden, crashing through a fence along the way. Denise's neighbors were not happy that this strange woman's baby elephant had destroyed their fence and their garden, and they sought compensation from the Belfast Zoo for damages, as well as reported what happened to Mr. Foster, head zookeeper, who was not happy about any of it. After that, Foster himself would go to Sheila's enclosure every night and padlock her cage himself so Denise could not take the elephant home. But Denise continued to do everything she could for Sheila. She would spend time with her during the day, and when the bombs were dropping, Denise would sneak back into the zoo at night and rub the baby elephant's ears to keep her calm until the blitz subsided. She risked everything to show this animal compassion during some of the darkest nights Belfast has ever seen. And Sheila lived through the war. She was not destroyed. She lived at the zoo for another 25 years until her death in 1966. This story was forgotten as the years went by, but one day some employees of the zoo found an odd picture in their archives. It was a photograph of a woman with a baby elephant in a backyard. The baby was enjoying a drink from a tin bucket near the back door of a house in front of two women, one elderly and one young. In 2009, to mark its 75th birthday, the Belfast Zoo decided to track down the woman from the photo. With the help of zoo visitors and local media, the identity of the mysterious woman who had been dubbed the Elephant Angel was discovered. The elderly woman in the photo was Irene Beatrice Mary Austin, Denise's mother and Denise Weston Austin was finally recognized as the Elephant Angel, although Denise had since passed away in 1997. Not a lot of information about Denise survives. 
We know she was born in 1925 and that she died in 1997 at the age of 72. We know that her father is believed to be Jack Austin, a cavalry officer who served during the war in India. We know others saw her as being a bit weird, and we know that when things were bad, she did something good. Since her identity was discovered, the story of Denise and Sheila has reached people all over the world. Their story has been featured on the BBC, has inspired multiple theater shows, an opera, a book, and even a feature film. Some of these retellings have changed the story, only basing their scripts loosely on Sheila's story, although I think the true story is incredible enough to be told in its own right. Denise Weston Austin died, never knowing how far her story would travel or how many people it would touch. A cousin of hers told reporters that she would be tickled pink with all the attention. Her compassion is famous now, and the friendship she shared with Sheila still inspires. And I hope her story inspires you, especially now, because it shows that even under fire, human compassion is capable of the most remarkable things. I hope you enjoyed the story of Denise and Sheila today. I'll be back in two weeks with another inspiring story from history. If you know of a story that's particularly relevant to what we're all going through right now, send it my way. I just may showcase it sometime in this next month. You can get a hold of me at historycashpodcast at gmail.com. If you'd like to support the show, consider subscribing on iTunes or wherever you listen. A podcast's visibility is directly tied to how many subscribers it has. If you're able to show your support financially, which is so humongously appreciated, you can do that for as little as a dollar a month at patreon.com slash historycashpodcast. Patrons get special perks that no one else does, including free stickers and access to the members-only feed. And stay safe and stay healthy, friends. And if you get the chance to show some extra kindness in these next few weeks, do it. Like Denise's act of kindness, it might go much further than you could think possible. Until we meet again, dear wandering stars of podcast land, go make some history. Hi, I'm Polly Altman. And I'm Jessica Thomas, and we're from Quick Bites. Quick Bites is an educational podcast where we each pick a random topic to research every week. So you can learn without having to read. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts. And on Twitter and Instagram at Quick Bites Pod. You can even send topic requests to quickbitespod at gmail.com. Tell your friends. Quick, Quick Bites. Bites.